Welcome to GivePod, Greater Vancouver's business podcast, unpacking the challenges and opportunities facing our region. I'm Bridget Anderson, President and CEO of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. Severe climate events over the past year have illustrated the urgent need to tackle climate change, and the oil and gas sector is adapting to address that need. Joining me today to talk about some of the solutions they're bringing forward is Susanna Pierce, President and Country Chair at Shell Canada. Susanna, thanks for being here today. Bridget, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. So maybe we could start with a look back. You have more than two decades of experience, and this is really environmental, social, governance interests. I mean, the full ESG gamut, if you will, and here in Canada, but also abroad. So how did you get to where we are today? Thanks, Bridget. You know, it's one of those uh, those interesting circuitous paths to where I am today. And maybe I'll just share that as a kid growing up in Alberta, I was one of those kids who wanted nothing to do with the energy industry because it was pretty much what everybody did. It was all you talked about at the dinner table. It's everything that was happening around town. So I, I wanted to escape. I ended up uh, leaving the country, went down to the States, and I did an undergraduate degree and a graduate degree. Um, in first um, in journalism, I wanted to be an international correspondent. But then my second graduate degree, I ended up going to the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. And this was in the mid nineties. And it was at the same time that the world was signing on to Kyoto. And I can remember that was a very interesting time for me because my graduate degree was in economics, but then there was also a, a complement to that, which was energy, environment, science, and technology. So it was almost a new type of degree combining economics with energy, environmental, natural resources, and things like that. And at the time of Kyoto, it really allowed me to see the world in a different way. So somehow I I ended up kind of coming back to the subject of energy, even though I wasn't living in Alberta anymore. And I also took a sabbatical at that time, and I went down to Chile Chile and Argentina. And there I witnessed the first time that natural gas was able to flow from Argentina into Chile to basically back out coal-fired power because Santiago would only use coal to fire up their electricity plant and they needed gas. They needed natural gas because they knew that it would clean, burn, burn cleaner and that they reduced the amount of smog. Mm-hmm. I began to get more and more then acquainted with how uh, the economy and the environment sat together. And so from then on, I actually ended up uh, coming back to Canada over time and, and got involved in energy development with TC Energy, which is now TC Energy, and then eventually Shell. So all that is to say is I came from a place in Alberta, didn't want to deal with energy, but then found myself in my graduate studies in the middle of a really interesting discussion about energy and the environment, the role of science and technology in that. And then long story short, started a career, ended up doing more and more energy projects to my role today, which is really, again, coming full circle to the conversation about energy, the environment, science, and technology. And that's pretty much what I try to combine in, in everything that I do in my job. So full 360 back to those Alberta roots. Uh, Shell is a lead partner in the LNG Canada project, and that's where we really first cross paths. And, um, you know, this began construction in Kitimat in 2018, but you were with LNG Canada for eight years before you took on this new role with Shell. How did your time with LNG Canada help shape what you're doing now? The LNG Canada project coming into it, moving to British Columbia, um, shaped my shaped my view on on project development in a pretty profound way. Um, 
part of the reason for that is, you know, I, first of all, I truly believe that if you're trying to build anything, you ought to be in the place where you're trying to build it. And so very often, I think that projects that cross into Alberta, cross into BC from Alberta get stymied because they're trying to be run out of Alberta when really you need to be present in the place where you're trying to do these things. And so for me, moving to Vancouver at the time was really to make sure that I was present, meeting the people, going up to Kitimat, making sure I understood their, their concerns, answered their questions. Um, but it's also the way that in British Columbia with the number of nations that are not under treaty, it really opens you up to a different type of relationship development. I felt that in the past, I think treaties um, or companies take treaties for granted in terms of consultation, in terms of engagement. In British Columbia, you don't have a treaty in the majority of nations. So, you know, you need to really sit down and make sure that you're having real honest dialogues and conversations about shared interests. So for me, that experience in itself of working with Indigenous communities, having a very open dialogue, really also changed my view on how we can be successful in, in building projects, working with communities, uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, by being present, but then also being open to hearing how could we make this work in a really a genuine way. And from that point too, I think the other thing I would add is, you know, successful projects really come down to finding the places where you can align the majority of stakeholders you know, to, to an outcome. Um, so how can we make sure that when we're trying to do major things that we're actually recognizing what the shared interest could be across all stakeholder groups? Now you won't convince everybody, but it's important to at least find those areas of alignment because that's your place to start. And from there, you can actually bridge out and find, okay, well, maybe there's some things that we can really do together. And then maybe you'll find that maybe you can't, but finding the areas of shared alignment is the first step. And that continues to be the way that I approach almost every project that I get to work on or almost every investment. I think LNG Canada really paved the way for a new way of doing uh, Indigenous consultation, but also community engagement. Do you see that now, a few years out from where you first started in Kitimat and the way that other projects are, are really approaching this? Yes, I mean, I, I, I think it is um, the, the most, one of the most important things that you need to do um, with any investment or any big project is sit with the communities that, that will be impacted. It's the, it has to be among the first things that you do. And I use the expression that we have to front end load community and, non, and indigenous engagement. We have to front end load it. That means that it's not good enough just to sit back and do your technical analysis. It's not good enough to sit back and do your economic analysis. You need to sit in with the communities. You need to front end load that engagement. So it's not an afterthought. You know, I also think that, you know, in the past we've had, you know, executive teams that are comprised of your CEO, your, your COO, your CFO, uh, but you also have to have your CSO, which is your chief stakeholder officer or whatever you want to call it because or chief mm -hmm. societal officer even, because societal interests are so important to what we do. And you hear things like stakeholder capitalism, you hear things like conscious capitalism, but at the end of the day, it comes it's right It's the social license to operate. It's, it always comes down to that. And what is a social license? It means it's, it's you and me talking as people who, yeah. who want to talk about how is this in our shared interests as individuals, as people. So it cuts right back down to the grassroots of everything. And I really think it's important that when we look at investments, when we look at projects, grassroots is sitting at the grass tops and we're talking to each other. So now that you're in this new role um, and it is a big role, country chair, so what are your priorities? I mean, you've been in the role now for a while. So, um, you know, what would you say that you are some of your biggest priorities right now? 
so it's uh, yeah, it's been a bit a year and a bit. And you know, I always try to look at at new roles in three year cycles. The first year, you're really just trying to figure stuff out. <laughs> the fire hose, exactly. And you're like, I think I have some ideas. And the second year, you're going to begin to test some of your ideas to see if they're the actual right ones to make an impact. Depending upon the areas you've, you've identified, you can make an impact or should. And the third year is you're really reevaluating. Okay, what can I tweak? So one of the things coming into this role that was clear is that. You know, we have an, a lot of existing business, which is, is, again, why we've been in Canada for more than 100 years. It's everything from, you know, oil and gas exploration to refining to chemicals to serving you at the pump, those sorts of things. Um, but now we're transitioning our business to one of how do we decarbonize the business that we've got? How do we create lower carbon energy? How do we look at lower carbon investments? So for me, it's taking a look at the base business and trying to find opportunities to create the economic conditions to decarbonize those businesses, but then also create new businesses. Examples of that could be, you know, if you take a look at what we make at our at our Scotford Chemicals and Energies Park in Alberta, uh, which is where it is, it's how do we find ways of decarbonizing the fuels that it produces, such as, for example, using hydrogen and decarbonizing the process of hydrogen by using CCS, which then again creates the lower carbon fuels. And it's finding the way that we can actually make that happen by driving CCS investments. So for me, it's all about looking at our existing business, finding opportunities for the new businesses that are really the decarbonized business, and then helping to accelerate that. Because the key thing for us right now is that we have to accelerate uh, the lower carbon business if we want any chance of meeting our climate commitments. And that requires also the other thing that I'm very focused on, which is working with customers. Because in the past, the focus has been on producers, produce more clean energy, produce some hydrogen. Well, that's fine. We can do that. But if your customers aren't going to be buying it, either because they don't have the technology to use it or it's too expensive, you don't end up getting ahead and you won't make these investments. So for me, it is trying to find ways of working with customers back in various different sectors and marrying that with our ability to drive lower carbon energy. So it's a really kind of an ecosystem approach that is that is one of the priorities. Just a couple of other ones that I think are important too is that you know, when I look at Shell Canada, and in particular, the relationship we have with Indigenous communities, we still have so much more to do. We still have to get to that place of real strong relationship. And so that's an area of focus for me is making sure that all of our business leaders, you know, don't hand it off to somebody who's done, who's running Indigenous relations. It's something that they do. They are the relationship owners, and they're making sure that these relationships are present. So that's another element. And then finally, like any anyone, I think today, it's recognizing that our organization does a lot better when it is equitable and when it is diverse and when it's inclusive. Uh, and so for me, there's particularly in my sector, uh, more room for us to move on that. And so it's peeling back uh, the onion a bit, trying to assess where we are in terms of all of those factors and then going on from there. So there's a lot of work that we're, we're kicking off in that regard. Clearly a lot uh, on your plate. I want to go back to the energy transition though. And, and, you know, one thing that is debated a fair bit is what is the role of LNG in that energy transition? And we see that in the public discourse that there has been some changes over the last five years, um, given your expertise in LNG Canada, um, and also where you're now talking about carbon capture and, and some of the work that Shell Canada is doing. What do you see is the role in energy, um, in that energy transformation and yeah. LNG? Yeah, I think the, the clear thing for us to recognize today is that uh, LNG 
enables natural gas to play, get to places that you currently either can't get it because there's no pipeline connections or that currently used to get it, but they don't have the production anymore. So LNG is an ability for us to move cargoes of LNG around to where they're needed and not be constrained by pipelines. You're seeing that happen in Europe right now as a result of backing out Russian pipeline gas. And so LNG allows for that flexibility of moving gas to where it's needed. LNG, which then is natural gas when you burn it in a power plant, is also, of course, uh, a much lower carbon uh, source of energy than coal. So when we look at how much coal capacity there is in the world existing today still, as we look to how we can reduce the emissions from that while we scale up in, in the renewables, which are still intermittent, you still need baseload. So natural gas is a better source for that baseload power while you have the intermittency of renewables and you don't yet have sufficient battery and storage. So LNG over the, the medium term is still going to be necessary to get natural gas to where it can't get to through pipelines and where you can use it as opposed to coal. But it's also something that, again, is, is creating a pathway, uh, as you are hearing more and more about, for things like hydrogen and ammonia. Because what you can do when you have LNG and natural gas is eventually you can get to a point where you can couple that with carbon capture sequestration, which further reduces the emissions that come from natural gas. And so that's another element that we're looking at. We're looking at LNG that is export can then become hydrogen, again, using various technologies to do that and CCS, so that then it can burn cleaner as well uh, and lower the carbon emissions wherever it's, it's, it's ultimately used. So it's still very necessary. The world clearly still needs it now, in particular, if we look at what's happening uh, in Russia and its invasion in Ukraine. And just by way of a statistic, right now, the amount of, of natural gas that Europe needs is the equivalent of half of the world's LNG supply. So when you really recognize that, that's what Europe needs when you back out Russia. You know that we have a lot of, of natural gas that needs to get to markets, including Europe. Yeah, I wanted to to talk about that because clearly Europe is trying to reduce its reliance on Russia for its energy needs, which then would open up opportunities for jurisdictions like British Columbia. But what do we need to do to ensure that we're leveraging and capturing this opportunity? Because it may not be there in five years down the road if we don't move fast enough. Well, yeah, I think it probably, you know, will still be there five down, five years down the road. But I, but I think what you're seeing happen is you're seeing that cargoes that could come from British Columbia will serve the Asian markets, and then cargoes that could have gone to Asia will serve the European markets. So you're going to see that cargoes in British Columbia again go into portfolio, which can then serve needs all around the world. Um, and you know, you see what's happening in Europe right now is that there's also this this element that they recognize that depending upon other nations, in particular nations that perhaps are, are not necessarily sharing the same values, is not a great way to ensure energy security. So I think what you're seeing, too, is that there's this opportunity for how do we invest then, one, with nations that we think are, are sharing values, but then two, how do we domesticize our energy production? Mm -hmm. That then speaks to some renewables, that then speaks to things that they can do locally that don't depend upon imports. But for Canada, again, like where we are right now, we need to continue to move forward on LNG Canada. Hopefully that project gets started up in the next few years. And then we look at other ways of getting supply uh, into the market. And that can be through another phase of LNG Canada. That can be through another LNG terminal that we know some of my colleagues are advancing, but also off the East Coast, where of course that's a shorter distance to Europe. There's the revival of a couple of projects over there that are quite interesting to watch. And these projects, again, can go forward on the basis that we, that we also look at the full life cycle emissions. So it's not about just going ahead and then producing more energy without being cognizant of that. I think 
all of the people that I work with are very cognizant of how do we marry energy security, getting energy to where it's needed, but then also don't fall back on our climate commitment. So we're looking at ways of finding solutions in that space. And it's not an easy, it's not an easy path because some of that is electrification and we know we're gonna need more power for that. We know we're gonna need more transmission. So there needs to be a very sort of open dialogue of what's required, but then also a very clear intent that we wanna play this role. And I will say this, I mean, it's the one thing that even this crisis uh, in Ukraine has, has opened again, I think our eyes on, which is, wow, you know, Canada could be doing a lot right now. We have the fourth mm -hmm. largest, you know, we're the fourth largest producer of oil. We're the fifth largest producer of natural gas. We could be doing more, you know, if we had the capacity to get our energy to market. So I think we need to say we want to do more and then we need to say how we do it. And I think that that's where I'm seeing more and more conversations, which are encouraging in that regard, because we should be punching more uh, above the weight. Well, a step in the right direction um, could be the federal government's announcement on this regional approach. So these regional tables on, on energy, because as you mentioned, you know, the situation in British Columbia is very different from Atlantic Canada, but overall to have alignment and integration of the regions with the hope of reducing some of the barriers like regulatory systems and some of the environmental assessment systems, not that that's not important because it is, but we have to find ways to get this done in a, an accelerated manner. So I do, I'm hopeful. I haven't seen very many details and, uh, you know, I think it's always good to be somewhat cautiously optimistic, um, when we're embarking on these kinds of big projects, but it certainly shows that there is maybe a, a sea change in the way that, uh, government is looking at energy transition and what it's trying to do. I agree with you, Bridget. And I think what has been, I think an, an unfortunate, um, situation that we have been experiencing is a polarization and a lack of collaboration. Again, coming back to that, that conversation around shared interest and shared outcomes where, you know, sometimes positioning gets in the way of really doing the work that can really advance some of these projects. And, and I think having a regional dialogue that is recognizing the unique characteristics of each province is crucial. I think a dialogue that involves all levels of government and indigenous groups and companies mm -hmm. and other interests it's crucial. It's, it comes right back down to the beginning part of our conversation, which is we have to align on where we see our shared interests and we work out from there. Okay, let's not talk about where we disagree at the moment. Let's start on where we do agree, because then you might be able to find some areas where we can actually advance something, recognizing areas where we may be different, but we've got a shared goal. We've got a shared outcome. So maybe it's a bit uh, naive, Pollyanne, to say that, but the time has passed for the continued fighting uh, with each other. If we want Canada to play its part in the world. And so we need to come together. And I think these regional discussions can help with that. Well, I think the pandemic, if it's shown us uh, anything very clearly is how important collaboration is collaboration among industry, uh, industry with government, industry and government with, uh, with indigenous communities, we need everybody at the table to find solutions. And we have to move way faster than what we do. We both have kids who would, uh, would agree with that who are young adults and say we're not doing enough and not moving fast enough. And so I think co collaboration is the only way to get to solution for sure. So as you are looking out, you know, you've been in the role for a year and a half. And if you were to sit back, you're talking about a three-year cycle. And I, I really agree with that three years. But if you were sitting out maybe in three or five years from now, what would you hope looking back on your some of the achievements that you had been able to accomplish in this role uh, with Shell Canada? Where do you hope will be? 
What do I hope will be? Well, you know, again, I think it's 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 interesting for for the company that I work for that very much the objectives that we're trying to achieve as a company, I think, are very synonymous with where the country is trying to go in terms of recognizing that energy has a role to play, but we need to decarbonize energy. Also recognizing that we have the opportunity to serve the fastest growing markets of the world that need energy, that actually don't want to depend upon Russia, don't want to depend upon even the United States. So who do we want to be? Who do we want to serve? And I really firmly believe that if I can look back five years from now and say that I've helped to advance the ability for our country and this province to get its resources to market and do so in a way that is inclusive and includes Indigenous communities, that, that raises um, the prosperity of Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities, creates jobs, um, and demonstrates that the private sector and trade is a good thing and that we can actually prosper together with it as a society. Huh, I think that's a pretty good thing to look back on. And I think it is what I'm focused on in my role as, as Shell Canada president, but then also how I can use my voice to help us come together uh, with respect to that here in British Columbia and in the country. It's the yes and conversation, uh, there isn't you it? Go, the yes and. Yes, it is. Okay. Well, yes and. We will leave it there. Susanna, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Bridget. It's always a pleasure to see you. <laughs>